get into the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Thank you for being here for our 11 a.m. service. We're starting a new series today, and we'll focus on three phases of the ministry of Christ. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. From heaven's perspective, the birth of Jesus was spectacular. From earth's perspective, it was mundane and disappointing. From heaven's perspective, it was incredible to think that the eternal everlasting immutable God would wrap himself in flesh and dwell among flawed humanity from a fleshly perspective he was born on a hit list they were trying to kill him when he got here they was trying to get him they hell didn't want Jesus Christ to show up and do what he did for us seemed there was no room for him literally this is how he showed up full of opposition pushed out of the world that he showed up to redeem from earth's perspective no palace no guards and no extravagant surroundings however isaiah from heaven's perspective saw a cradle and prophesied the birth of our messiah who would bring light to a dark world isaiah 9 and 6 from us a child is born anybody glad from us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to carry the burden is what that means. He's going to show up in every burden you got and every issue. He said, I'm going to put it on my shoulders. And his name, name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. need him today and I don't want to ever take for granted what he done for me I don't want to push him out of my life today I want to make room for him I need him today so I'm gonna to talk to you for a little while this morning on this topic the cradle the cradle what what does this scripture mean to us what does it mean what kind of value does it bring to our life God we need you today God, we need your anointing. We feel you in the place. No doubt you've showed up here today. God, you want to help change somebody's life. God, there's still power in the name of Jesus. And today we operate in that. We speak that. God, somebody's going to leave here victorious, delivered, set free, redeemed, restored, all because of a name. Somebody shout in that name. In Jesus' name. Now give him one more hand clap of praise. Amen. You may be seated. The year was 1809. The world was in an upheaval. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. And soldiers from many countries were dying on the battlefield. The fate of entire kingdoms and nations hung in the balance. And the world seemed on the edge of collapse. It was 1809. And in that same year, several significant people were born. In Britain, there was William Gladstone destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. 
Then Alfred Tennyson, one of the great authors of his day, was born to an obscure preacher and wife. In the U.S., Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge. And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, although tragic, life. It was also that same year the wife of a physician named Darwin gave birth to their child and named him Charles Robert. And that same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged cabin in Kentucky. The baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. If there had been a news broadcast back in 1809, these words would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on an Austrian battlefield today. But history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. Every age has its danger. And eventually every nation faces darkness and despair. Even today in the USA, one of the greatest nations that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Can I say that again? The United States of America is still one of the greatest nations that has ever existed. But we're still concerned with financial troubles, terrorism, war, rumors of war, addiction, diseases, and political uncertainty. And these threats and perils cause us to believe that today's events are shaping the destiny of our lives. We see the news and perceive our future as bleak, dark, and hopeless. But I've showed up with a word on this Sunday morning. Stop focusing on the darkness and remember the cradle that showed up that breaches the darkness. It's not what's around us that is controlling us. It's what we're allowing to shine in our lives. Either we're allowing darkness to consume us or we're allowing the light of Jesus Christ to shine in our world. Isaiah tells us that his birth would revolutionize new life. Shine light into a world filled with darkness. It would be the greatest gift that God has ever given to humanity. Not only would it be the greatest gift that the birth of Jesus would change everything. Mark 3 and 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. The strong man this scripture is alluding to was Satan. And his house was this world that we live in, Satan's realm of influence and power. But the Old Testament speaks repeatedly of God's intention to enter Satan's house and plunder his goods. That is to save many who were being held captive. God said, one day I'm going to show up in the world. And all those that Satan is holding captive, I'm going to set up a plan to set them free and get them out of the captivity that Satan has them in. And we see that in Genesis 3 and 15. God spoke to Satan directly, telling him that his head would one day be crushed, indicating total defeat by one born of the woman. So there is no question that his ultimate goal, his ultimate purpose was to redeem the world from sin and death, to deliver us from the curse of the law, to set us free from our human depravity, and ultimately destroy the works of the enemy by the precious blood of the Lamb that he might render our enemy helpless the day that Jesus was born changed everything and it's still changing everything today it is still good tidings of great joy which is for all people tab your neighbor say it's for all people it's for it's for all people regardless of nationality race age wealth family social position or education the great joy is for those who understand 
what God did for our lives. God is love. God's eternal, infinite love that caused him. It's his eternal, infinite love that caused him to go to such unparalleled lengths to save the lost. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I'm glad there was a cradle. He rescued us from the plight of Satan. He snatched us from the snare the enemy had set for us. And it, feel good, it feels good today. To say, he that the Son has set free is still free indeed. I'm thankful today that he showed up. It still takes my breath away to think about redemption. You see, it was his ultimate purpose to fight back the forces of evil that we would, we would never be able to conquer on our own. How many will testify that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, you would have never got out of the situation you were in? Anybody can testify, if it wasn't for him in your life, I could say it, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would still be bound, locked up, and held captive. And while he's walking toward his purpose to set us free, he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are, y'all better shout it to me, he we are healed. He said, since I'm showing up, might as well take some stripes so they can be healed. I'll bear your transgression. I'll carry away your sorrow. Yet so many people are still carrying the depression that he already carried. Because we ignore the humanity in the cradle. It's time to see the light in the middle of our darkness. I was studying for this message. I was typing. I was praying. And all of a sudden, I began to feel breakthrough and victory. And I felt like the Holy Spirit kept quickening to me. There's going to be breakthrough and there's going to be victory. I started feeling peace and joy show up. Someone needs to understand he's here today. And he wants to bring something to your life that the enemy can't take away from you. He showed up that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I'm not barely getting by. I want the enemy to know I'm not barely making it. I'm going from glory to glory, from victory to victory. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. And this is why hell is nervous. And this is why Jesus Christ, when he was born, he was born on a hit list. Because they wanted to stop him from doing what he showed up to do. And let me add this. When we pursue God's purpose for our lives, there will always be unfair obstacles that come against us. Because the enemy knows where our ultimate destiny is going to take us. And that's why he's trying to sabotage our progress. But I've got a word today. Greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. Satan don't even have the keys to his own house. Jesus come and took those keys and set us free. I'm going to say it. There's purpose in your problem. And it's not that God can't get you out of it. Preacher, can God get me out of it? Absolutely. He's God all by himself. God does his own thing. I I don't tell God what to do. I pray, I ask God, but I don't tell him what to do. God's God. So can he get you out of it? Absolutely. Can God afford to get you out of it? (sighs) Absolutely. It's not that God can't fix it, but if you have a problem and God doesn't fix it, then that means there's a strategy that he's using in that problem to carry you to your purpose. And at some point, we must stop complaining and start praising because the word says, in all circumstances, give thanks. 
You know what that means? I'm going to stop looking down and acting defeated, and I'm going to lift my eyes toward the hills from which cometh my help. I know he's getting ready to show up. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to show up. If you have the wrong perspective, you won't understand what God is strategically doing through all of your opposition. But there's light somewhere in the middle of darkness. God is doing something. You thought you were forgotten, but God is really hiding you until he's ready to reveal you. You thought, well, nobody knows where I'm at, man. I'm all alone. What if you're in the secret place of God because he's preparing you for what's next? And if you get bitter and angry and mad and say, you know what? Nobody loves me. They don't, they don't value me. They don't care about me. They don't, then guess what? You'll miss what God's doing in that moment. You think this will destroy you, but it's really going to elevate you. It's about per perspective. Satan influenced Herod, and they did everything they could to kill Christ before the cross. But Satan didn't control the cradle. The hand that controlled the cradle would shape the present and future of humanity because God does his best work while the enemy is still in the dark. The enemy don't know what God's doing in your life. He don't have no light. But you know what the word says? That there is treasure in the darkness. In other words, while the enemy's over here, they would have never crucified him if they would have known what that, what that was going to lead to. So while the enemy's over here in the dark trying to figure it out, I'm over here and the light says, I got you. You're going to be all right. I'm on your side. I'm far. You don't give up. Hold on a little bit longer. And that's what Isaiah is showing us. Isaiah 9 and 6. For, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called what? Wonderful counsel. Anybody need a counselor today? Anybody need a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace? But let me break this down. In this verse, we are told about his humanity, his deity, and his sovereignty. This is a powerful verse. There's a lot that is packed into this verse. For unto us a child is born. That is his humanity. That is Bethlehem. That is Christmas. That is the nativity. That's, why, that's what we celebrate during this season. We don't celebrate Santa Claus or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman. We celebrate that a Savior showed up, that we can have redemption. That's what we sell. That's what the season's all about. He showed up. That's his humanity. And I've always found it interesting that the church has been very good at defending, as we should, the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is indeed God. And the Bible is filled with that language. But where some get a little bit uncomfortable is defending the absolute humanity of Jesus. He was fully God. But he was also fully man. And we must never forget that the first heresy in the early church was not an attack on the deity of Christ. It was an attack on the humanity of Christ. It's called Gnosticism. And it was the denial that Jesus had a real human body. He didn't have a real human body. That's what, that's what they say. It's a denial of it. Well, you know, maybe he had this glorified body. He didn't have a real human body. But can I give you scripture? Can we talk about it for a moment? Because I want you to understand something. you got to go to John, and you got to read how he starts his gospel, the book of John and how that gospel starts. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But watch verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
as he grew up, he grew sleepy. There was occasions that Jesus Christ was tired. Remember when he got on the boat with his disciples? They were going from one side to the other. It says he fell asleep. He took a nap just like I'm going to do today. Me and Jesus, we take naps. That's what we do. Just like I'm going to take a nap today, Jesus said, I'm tired. Let me go take a nap. The Bible says that he sat down at the well at Samaria because he was weary from the journey. He felt fatigue. On another occasion, he was hungry after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and the devil came and tempted him. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. And at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11, we read Jesus, he wept. He cried. He felt. He's like, man, my buddy, he's gone. I know he's about to get up. Lazarus, come forth. I know, man, he's he getting up. But, man, it just hurts my heart. He died. He gone. Rolled a stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Man comes hopping out there. I got you, bud. You all right. But then we read that Jesus died. And in dying, he felt what all people feel who died. That's a powerful statement. Why is this important? Why is it important to focus on the cradle and the humanity of Jesus? I could tell you why. Because Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is every, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He said, you know what? I want to feel what you feel so that I can help you when you're going through what you're going through. I want to feel everything that you feel. There's a story, an old story about a monarch, a king, and he would take off his robe of royalty, his kingly robe, twice a year, and he would go out with the people of his kingdom. He would dress as a peasant, and he would walk amongst his people. His advisors didn't like it. They said, man, don't do that. Don't do that. You, you the king. Don't go out there. Security, we, we don't know. I mean, we, there's security problems if you go out there. Don't go out there. And you know what this king told them? He said, y'all telling me not to do it. But he said, I cannot rule my people unless, unless I know how they live. I cannot be their king unless I really know what they feel. When he showed up, he didn't look mighty. He didn't look like a conqueror. But I'm drawn to this text because it takes away from the vast illuminated perspective of who Christ is. It personalizes it for me and says unto us, a child is born. He did not come or show up just to redeem the world or rebuke the enemy or to set us free. He showed up to understand our perspective because he loves us. It's the greatest story you ever read. Some of you need to get off Hallmark and go read the Bible. Talking to somebody. I, I know it's the same story on Hallmark all the time. Same story. She leaves a small town. She goes to the city. She falls in love to the city. She goes back to the small town. Her, her, the love of her life from high school is in the small town. She falls back in love with him. Same story. I, I know you got it recorded when you get home, but I'm telling you, she's going to fall back in love with the guy from the small town. She's going to move back home. But if you, want a real, if you want to read a real love story about an ultimate sacrifice, pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
If you want to read, if you want to read something that's got meaning, if you want to read about selfless romantic love, because in this word, we read of the king of the universe who relinquished his throne to come down to the people that he loved. He left everything to show up to feel what we feel. That's why he had to be human, because he wanted to know what we feel. He wanted to know on a Sunday morning how frustrated we are and aggravated and how many questions we got and how tempted we've been. The next phrase, though, you got to get it. Unto us a son is given. Now, that's his deity. You have his humanity, but you've got his deity. Notice the construction is different. The wording isn't now he's born. It's now he's given. This suggests a pre-existent deity. And then he was given to the world as a savior. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Same idea. Have you ever thought of this before? Jesus is the only person who ever existed before he was born. Oh, y'all turn in right now. He was the only person. That ever existed before he was born. And that's why Paul said this in 1 Timothy 3 and 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Jesus never became God. He always was God. He was God pre-Bethlehem. He was God in heaven. He was God in the womb. He was God when he was born. And all through his life, Jesus was God and he was man. It's beautiful. There's a song that I love. I've been singing a lot in my sermons. We're just going to keep that up. If I had musicians, it would be in the key of G. But it's Jingle Bells. I'm just playing. That's not it. Y'all was, was there. It's hark. The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. But have you ever really? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Trying to get out of preaching, but I got I to craft some other talents, get them ready. But have you ever went and read the words to that song and realized why it's so powerful? This is what it says. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hell incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. He's writing what Isaiah wrote in chapter 7 when speaking of the virgin birth. And you will call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew shows up and says that means God with uh, Jesus is powerful. I'm telling y'all right now. The name of Jesus is powerful. So unto us, a child is born, humanity. Unto us, a son is given, deity. Deity robed in humanity. Think about that. He sat in majesty in heaven. He could call upon thousands upon thousands of angels to do his bidding. And with, with just a word, he could change the course of mighty rivers or crush the power of huge nations. But the cradle tells me about a God that will always show up where I am. That's why this morning nothing can stop me from praising God. You can be mad at me. I can be mad at you. You can think something's not good enough, something's not right enough. But I'm still going to praise him. You hear me? You know why? Because he loved me enough to come to where I was. I don't care. 
care about anything else. I cared that when sin had me shackled, I was bound and all hell was breaking loose in my life and I was about to lose my mind. But when I called on the name of Jesus, he showed up. He showed up. Can anybody testify right now? I didn't know what I was going to do, but I called on the name of Jesus and he showed up in my life. Look, and what, what I love it is the reason you got to get humanity and deity because when nobody else understands you, he does. He loved me enough to come to where I was. He felt my pain, and he was touched by the feeling of my infirmity. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Finally, somebody understands when my soul is overwhelmed, he understands. Somebody understands how I wrestle against not only my own struggles and weaknesses and temptations, but I'm, I'm, I'm battling against hell. This is, this is spiritual. Somebody understands the difference between weakness and wickedness. Somebody understands the groaning and the moaning of my soul. Somebody understands what I didn't get in life, what, what I didn't have, and why I act differently. That's another thing. People look at people and be like, man, why do they act like that? Because we don't know, we don't know where they've been. We don't know what, have, what has happened in their life. We don't know what they feel. That, people think differently because their mind has been shaped by what has happened in their life. And we're like, man, we don't understand that. We don't need to understand it. We need to know the one who does understand it. When I'm skeptical and afraid and worried and angry, I've got somebody that understands what I'm going through. And that's the message of the cradle. It's the message of the cradle that says, I understand, I know. I showed up to where you were. And when everyone walks away, isolates me, ignores me, limits me, and frustrates me. And I can't get any understanding or sensitivity. I can't. Nobody. You ever try to be that? I try to get sen sensitivity sometimes. I've tried to. I walk in, I'm like, man, I'm really discouraged today. Just waiting on somebody to pat me on the back and say, hey, you're going to be all right. No sensitivity. We all do it. I can't get no sensitivity. You know where I go? I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builders have rejected. Do you know why? He's not just the God of the universe. He's not just the ruler of heaven. He's not just the CEO over creation. He is not just the chief administrator over the angels that go to war. He's not just theirs. For unto me a child is born. Unto me a son is given. You know what he's saying? You know what this verse is saying? I'm not only in touch with what happened to you. I'm in touch with how you feel about what happened to you. I, I not only, I'm not only in tune with what happened to you. I feel what you feel about what happened to you. Those nights you stay up and be like, man, why did that happen? Why did it take place? And he said, just call on my name. I'm going to show up because I understand. And I know what you're thinking, Rev. My life is a mess. Well, have you ever thought that Jesus Christ was born in a Jewish town called Bethlehem, wasn't a big community. In fact, according to one source, at the beginning of the first century A.D., Bethlehem was a village with not more than a thousand inhabitants. A small set of houses scattered along the side of a ridge and protected by a wall that was in a bad state of repair, or even mostly demolished since it had been built nearly a thousand years earlier. So when Jesus was born in a barn in a poor backwater Jewish town, He's saying, I'm going to be born in a situation because that situation is going to mirror people's lives. Look, his cradle, have you ever thought about it? His cradle was a feeding trough. And they believe that it's a feeding trough that, that, that possibly, 
that sheep would come and eat out of that trough. Jesus said, put me in the feeding trough because one day I'm going to be the bread of life that the whole world can come to. Somebody needs to help me preach right now. There is power in the cradle. But let, let me go back for a second. Let me go back to him being born in a barn. Have you ever been to a barn? My grandpa had a barn. Y'all, it was hideous. It, it, it wasn't pristine. It wasn't, they lived there. I don't know how they lived there. Hopefully it was in better shape than when I got old enough while they, while they built their house. My dad and them, they all lived there. But we would go out there, man, I'm telling you, there, there, would, be, there would be spiders. There was dinosaurs. <laughs> like you couldn't imagine. The wood was rotten. He would say, look, if, if y'all go out there, be careful because you, you may fall through the floor. The roof may fall in on you. Like it was an adventure. And we did what, what any kid did. We, we went there because he told us not to go in there. So that's what we did. But it's a barn. Most barns are not sterile. They're not a good place for a baby to be born. I've never heard somebody, I'm pregnant, we're going to go down to Uncle Fred's barn and we're going to have this baby right now. <laughs> never. I've never, driving down the road, hey, that's a good place. Mark that place right there. We're going to take that barn, and that's where, that's, where we're having, that's where we're having Josie at. We're going to that barn right there. <laughs> that is the place. I've, I've, never, I've never seen it. I've never, I've never heard of any medical doctor say, you know what, we're going to take a barn, and we're going to turn it into a hospital. And that's going to be the place that world changers are going to be born, right there in the barn. One man made this observation. The birthing process was messy. Borns that housed animals was pretty messy. But he went there because that's what our lives would look like when he showed up in our lives. They're not sterile. They're not put together. There's literally, there's spiritual opposition and darkness all around us. It feels like parts of our life are just, just literally rotting away. And he said, that's where I want to go. And not only was he born in a stable and placed in a manger, but he also spent his time with messed up people. People no one else wanted to get close to. This is what I want to know in 2023. How can people read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and still shun broken people? I can't figure it out. I pray and read my Bible every day. Pen a rose on my nose. Every day. I feel like I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I've never become so holy that I stop reaching for the people that he showed up to redeem and restore because that's what this is about. He went to the lame, the sick, the lepers. There was a woman with an issue of blood that just touched him of his garment and was made whole. Look, then there was prostitutes, tax collectors, and the all-around general sinners. So next time we get uncomfortable... With who God's trying to reach and redeem, we need to go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Listen, because if we feel with the spirit that he left for us in the book of Acts, he said, you got to go and you got to tell people what, what has happened in your life. He sat at their table. He went to them. He said, let me help them. see the palace they didn't want him but the barn embraced him 
People in the palace said, we don't want nothing to do with him. The religious said, we don't want nothing to do with him. But those that needed a physician, he knew that if he showed up where they were, that if he just showed up, that they, they, they would make room for Jesus in their life. I know people that's been in this a long time, and, and, and the enemy's doing everything in his power to make sure that we don't make room for Jesus Christ to operate in our life. He showed up, and those who needed a Savior embraced him. Those who needed hope and joy, not perfect, but available. Those who will embrace him and call him and trust him. You hear me? He will always show up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you remember when you sought the Lord and he showed up? Do you remember when you found him? Do you remember how he delivered you and healed you and turned your life around and put joy back in your heart and bounced back in your step? Does anybody remember what he done for your life? So Isaiah sees the cradle. I'm almost done. Back in the days of Isaiah, the world looked dark and bleak and hopeless. The nation of Israel had turned their back on God and God in his in his turn, had turned his back on them. To punish them, God was bringing a nation from the north named Assyria. And that nation was going to sweep down upon them like a flood tide and, and, and wash over them in vengeance. It was going to be a time of darkness and hopelessness. But then a few verses later, this is what I love about God. He'll throw some judgment out there. I'm, hey, God, God's nobody to play with. I, I know we, we don't preach that anymore, but don't. This ain't a game. This isn't something we, we're, we're just... We're just showing up to do on a Sunday. This is business. This is eternal. This is heaven or hell. This is. But just a few verses later, God said there will be a time of hope and light brought by the birth of a child, a cradle. Isaiah 9 and 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death has dawned. A light has dawned, which leads to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. In other words, he will bear the burden and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Notice what it says right there. His name. Everybody got that? Underline that real quick. Because all of this, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, is all wrapped in a name. All this is wrapped in a name. And Jesus himself would say this in John 8 and 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The revelation of the name of Jesus is what this world needs right now. Because everything is wrapped in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and 12. Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Colossians 3 and 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed... Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What about Philippians 2, 9 through 11? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. It's above my disease, my sickness, my depression, my suicidal tendencies. It's above everything in my life. It's the name that's above every other name. Every name hell tries to put on you, the name of Jesus is above that. Everything. Oh. They're an addict. Not if they call on the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is stronger than their addiction. They're suicidal. Not if they call on the name of Jesus. It's stronger than the power of suicide in our lives. That the name of Jesus, here it is. 
every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess. Guys, this is it. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Everything is in the name of Jesus. The cradle changed everything. Without the cradle, there would have never been a cross. Without a cross, there would have never been an empty tomb. Without an empty tomb, there would have never been an upper room. I'm telling you, I'm feeling it today. And without an upper room, there wouldn't be a river proclaiming the name of Jesus on a Sunday morning. The name changed everything. The cradle changed everything for us today. Luke 2 tells us, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. I feel like I'm on Charlie Brown. It says they were in the middle of darkness, but when the revelation of the birth of Jesus showed up, it brought light that attracted them to the cradle. Jesus said this in John 12 and 46, I have come into the world as light set so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I do not care what the enemy's telling you right now. I don't. And I'm not being, I'm not being insensitive. I hope that's a word. I'm not being rude. But I've come to tell you it doesn't matter how much darkness the enemy is putting in your life. This scripture says that he showed up. So that we don't have to remain in darkness. I'm not living there. I've got a name that's above every other name. I'm coming out of whatever the enemy's trying to put me in. There's light today. Musicians, you can come, but we have a choice. This is what gets me nervous. We have a choice today. A choice. This is the choice. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Paul writes, now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He said, if you've had this light show up in your life, you can't continue to walk and act and talk and do the same things you used to do. Because the light has showed up in your life. Although you can go to an airport to buy gum or a newspaper, doing so is secondary to the main purpose for going to an airport. We go to an airport to catch a plane and reach a new destination. But since the understanding of unbelievers is darkened, they don't have a clear purpose in mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And verse 19 keeps me up at night. They have become callous. They don't feel anymore. They become hard-hearted. And they've given themselves up to the sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Ephesians tells us folks who think like this who make no room for Jesus Christ become callous getting involved in sensuality and greedy and indulge in every form of impurity Proverbs 4 19 the way of the wicked is like deep darkness they do not know over what they stumble so here's the deal this is, this is a test today if you stumbling and don't know why you've allowed too much darkness in your life and you haven't made room for Jesus Christ because there's modern terms those who reject Jesus Christ feast on a diet of wickedness the path they walk is the darkest gloom so that they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing they're just stumbling 
They can't see every snare the enemy puts there. Well, I hadn't prayed this week. I hadn't read my Bible, so here's a snare, but I'm in darkness. I can't see, so I'm tripping. The light's there. The crater already happened. Jesus already showed up. Here we are, calloused. Same way he entered the world. Don't have room. Don't have time. Not emotional. I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we've got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap because the enemy is doing his best to rock us to sleep. I can tell you right now, right now, the enemy's lullaby is as loud as it's ever been. He's singing so loud to try to make us go to sleep to where we can come to the house of God, but we're just sleepwalking. We don't have, there is some that has showed up here today. You have no intention of seeking Jesus Christ. None. You showed up to check off Sunday off your list and to go home and let the enemy put you right back in the darkness that you left to get here. And these words in Matthew 25 about the five foolish virgins, verse 5, it gets me. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. Verse 10, and while they were going to buy the oil, they didn't have enough oil, they begged the other five, give me some of your oil. The bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. They had the lamp. At one time they had oil. But the enemy was singing in their ear. So eventually, songs didn't move them. Their cheeks never got wet with tears. They never felt conviction. They were never drawn to an altar. The word didn't call unto them. They couldn't even sit through a whole sermon because the oil in their lamp had diminished. And when they finally woke up, the bridegroom had already shut the door. And as Mary is holding Jesus in her arms, she can't take her eyes off of him. Somehow Mary knows she's holding God. So this is he. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. He looks anything but a king. His face is red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he's absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable. Through the, room of a te- through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. She touches his face of the infant God. How long was your journey? This baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm are not the robes of eternity that he once wore. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums. The merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe. The innkeeper would never believe that he just sent God out in the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. And those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it not because they were evil, not because they were sinning, Not because they had malice in their heart. They missed it because they weren't looking far. 
And little has changed in the last 2,000 years. Because Corey Ten Boom once said this, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. If the cradle just happened and he's never born in my life, then I would still be lost. So the important question that I have for you today is has he been born in your life? Does he live in your life? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you go to him when you're broken and say, God, I know you can feel where I'm at? Because if he's going to be our kinsman redeemer, then we must be kin to him to be redeemed, born again of water and of spirit. So as we close this service today, we cannot add or take away from what Christ did or who he is. He was that before he was born. He'll be that. He was that before I was born. He'll be that when I'm gone. His word is forever settled in heaven. He was God before there was anybody there to say he was God. We cannot add to him. We cannot diminish him. He is God all by himself. But maybe, just maybe, we can learn something from his cradle. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And if we need some peace, he said, I'm the prince of peace. And if we've never had a father figure in our life, he says, I'll be the everlasting father. If we're weak, he said, I'll be your strength. If we're depressed, he said, I'll be your joy. He said, I'll be the wheel in the middle of the wheel, the bright and morning star, my place of refuge. He's my savior, my king, my deliverer, my bridge over troubled waters. He is my healer, my strength, and my shield. Whatever I need, there's a name. The Bible says all of hell and every demonic entity trembles at the name Jesus Christ and here it is there's one requirement do we still hunger and thirst for him look they, they, I guarantee you right now there are people on this place that's got a need there are people here right now that you're battling you're in the midst of darkness you're struggling and the enemy has said sit here don't move because if you move and you make room, Jesus is going to do something in your life. If you make room and you talk to him and you thirst for him. I love, I love the part of the Christmas story that says the wise men of the east came seeking the cradle. And when they got to him, they fell down and worshipped him because there's nothing like finding Jesus. We're going-